It's an honor and a privilege to be up here today and to be asked by by Pastor Scott to preach um, in his absence. I pray that the Lord would help us and direct us. Let's just pray really quickly and we'll read the Word. Father, I ask You now that You would give us help to hear what Your words say and to not to be hearers only, but to be doers of the Word. Empower us now by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. James chapter 5. Verses 7 through 11. Hear what the Spirit says through the Apostle James. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the reading of God's Word. Please be seated. Of the armed troops who went to David at Hebron to deliver the kingdom to him, it was said in First Chronicles 12.32 that those from the tribe of Issachar were, quote, men who had understanding of the times who, to know what Israel ought to do, end quote. Those who understand the times, who know what to do, these are those to whom others who are wise, they flock to those people. There are those to whom people, there are people who need peace, who need clarity, who need purpose, who need direction, who need a goal. Those who have an understanding of the times and know what to do, they listen to them. There are those in the church who know the Lord, know His Word, see how the Word describes this age, have deeply thought through how to apply God's Word to how it says about how to live in this age. And they tell whoever in the church will listen. And those who listen are those who know God, know His Word, see how the Word applies to how the Lord said to live in this age. And they not only hear, but they do. Brothers and sisters, a recurring illness with the church has dealt with periodically in her life is threefold at least. One, There's confusion about what this age in which she lives is like. Two, what her life in this age should be like. And three, what is her mission in this age? The church has periodically throughout her history struggled with getting those things right. And in church, if we get any of these wrong, we will not... Live as our Lord wants us to, to be fruitful and effective for Him. Somewhat recently, I was reading a portion of a book I value. It's called The Greatness of the Kingdom, written by Alva McLean. It's a book that talks about the kingdom of God. There was a section of the book that describes the time between Pentecost and the Second Coming. It gripped me, and I'd like to share, uh, I'd like to read it to you. Now, for the Smoothness of the reading, I'm going to be, he's got a lot of passages to back up what he says. I'm going to leave those out except for one. 
He says, quote, Between these two events, the life of the church is regarded as an interim until the Lord come. For the church, this interim is a time of humiliation, testing, trouble and persecution, suffering and groaning, patient endurance. And here's that passage, James 5, 7 through 11. Refining and perfecting, unceasing labor, agonizing conflict, and unrelenting struggle toward a goal which lies beyond this age and world. For the present, therefore, the members of the church must in a peculiar sense walk by faith, live in hope, endure hardship as good soldiers of Christ, not looking at the things which are seen, but at the things not seen. End quote. I think that sums up our age well, not only recently, but for nearly 2,000 years. Our forefathers knew this. The global church has known this. And by God's grace, because of sins and the evil one's power becoming ever more present in this day in which we live, it seems that God's elect, at least in certain portions of the world, are starting to realize it. And what I just read, the passage we will be looking at today is referenced. The author summarized it as patient endurance. James, who writes this epistle to Jewish believers, is an apostle of Jesus Christ who has an understanding of his times, the times of the church, and he knows what she should do. In the wake of the unrighteous, riches persecution of these believers that he talks about earlier, he reminds them of the great, comforting, yet terrifying truth that shoots through nearly all of the New Testament. The return of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, who will punish the wicked and deliver the righteous. We need to be reminded of this, brothers and sisters. Anecdotally, it seems as though there are certain sections of Christ's bride that have lost, muddled or confused or ignored the New Testament's eager, watchful anticipation of our Lord's return. This is not the way of the New Testament and of the early church. And if we are to be wise and listen to those who, like James who understand the times and know what the church ought to do, we need to recover this purifying and life-giving hope. The eager anticipation that accompanies it and the patient perseverance we need in the meantime. Let's go to our text again and let's see the patient perseverance arraying for the parousia and that word in the New Testament will mean coming or presence. I, I use it to refer to our Lord's return to which James calls us. Let's look at it. and Let's see our first point that James would bring out. We patiently persevere in the midst of suffering for the Lord's coming, parousia, is imminent. Imminent. That's I-M-M-I- N-E-N-T, imminent. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 again. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In light of the suffering and the persecution that 
these believers are experiencing, James directs them to be patient. They are to be patient because of the persecution of the unrighteous rich, that's earlier on in the chapter in James 5, against the godly righteous, that's them. They're to be patient because they are suffering. And it's hard to be patient when you're suffering. James's audience, we're very much like them. As the persecution globally has been going on ever since the, the gospel spread beyond the, the borders of Israel, has continued, and even in our own Western culture, it seems to be amping up. It's hard to be patient. But James tells them to be patient, even though they're being persecuted, because judgment awaits them. Notice the word brothers here. The word brother or brothers occurs 19 times in the book of James. So it's important that we note it. He's, he's talking to the believers here. He's a, a Jewish believers particularly here, but it applies to all believers. How long is their patience to last? Well, verse 7 tells us. To the coming of the Lord. The second coming is a reoccurring theme in the New Testament. And it is consistently used to encourage the saints to hope and holiness. James helps uh, his brothers in this text by pointing to illustrations as explanations of the point which he's making. He uses the Greek word for behold, which actually occurs three times in the passage. Verse 7, which the ESV um, actually... In, um, inconsistently translates as see. And then also in verse 9 and verse 11, you can see it there. Now, translations give some examples like the Legacy Standard Bible and the King James Version actually are consistent and use this word behold. Another version would be the Revised Standard Version. Let's look at the first behold. Behold number one. The farmer patiently waits for the fruit. Now the farmer waits patiently for the precious fruit. You catch that word? Precious. For which he has laboriously toiled the ground, planted and cared for. He patiently waits for the precious fruit until it receives the early and the late rains. Now in Deuteronomy 11, uh, 13 and 14, uh, God promised Israel before they entered the promised land that if they would obey His commandments, He would give them rain. The early, uh, to quote, the early rain and the later rain that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. So the early and the late rains, from what I'm reading, is, is referring to rain in Israel. Now authors Lowe and Nita in their Greek lexicon, they provide a helpful insight. I think that would be helpful for us. Let me, let me share that. They say, quote, it may be important to relate the early and the late rains, not to particular times of the year, but to the normal period for rain. For example, the early rains could be rain becoming, coming before it is normally expected, or rain at the beginning of the raining season. And late rains are rains which come later than one expects, or rain at the end of the rainy season. On the other hand, the contrast may be expressed as rain coming before it should or rain coming later than it should. End quote. Did you catch that? 
The farmer is waiting until the harvest is fully prepared, even if it takes longer than it's expected. Both of these rains are needed in order for the fruit to be ready. James instructed the brothers that they need to wait for the precious coming of the Lord until the Lord's preparation is ready. Brothers and sisters, I ask you, do you wait for the Lord's coming like the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Is the Lord's coming precious to you? Like the fruit is to the farmer. Do you patiently wait knowing that the Lord is still executing His perfect plan according to the timetable, His timetable, and that when everything has been made ready, then it will come. It's so easy to get so impatient waiting for the Lord's timing. But as we have been taught again and again and again, the Lord's timing is perfect. And there are still His sheep that He has called out by His name that are still out there. That He put in our hands to go out there and get them. Yes, He will bring all of His sheep into His fold, but He has charged us with the responsibility to go out and get them. And that is what we should be doing in the meantime in the eager anticipation of the hope that He's going to be coming soon. So what do we do in the meantime? We establish our hearts. Establish your hearts. He can come he, at any moment. Jesus, uh, excuse me. James brings the application home to the brothers. You also be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, Lo and Nita in their Greek lexicon give a good definition of the word establish. I'll share it. Their definition is quote to cause someone to become stronger in the sense of more firm and unchanging in attitude or belief. End quote. James doesn't want the brothers to weaken in their trust in the Lord. He wants it to grow stronger. He doesn't want their trust to grow weaker that the Lord will come in time to deliver them and punish the wicked. Instead, they're to firm up their hearts even more. Become even more inflexible. Even more resolute. Even more steadfast. Strengthen your hearts in the midst of suffering in light of patient endurance. For the Lord's coming is at hand. It is, as the judge, as we'll read in a moment, right at the door. The so-called Christian deconstruction movement is growing in popularity. I wonder... I wonder if some of that fuel for that apostate fire has been fueled by the fact that they forgot that the Bible says that the Lord is coming soon. Amen. 
Brothers and sisters, there's a, God has a list of everyone on the right side of history. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Those who do not establish and strengthen their hearts, those are the ones who fall. But James wants better things for his brothers. He says, establish your hearts. It's, this coming is imminent. It's at any moment. This verb is used in the New Testament to describe an event that is near, right around the corner, and even sometimes is here. This is how James describes the parousia, the return of the Lord. And that's the most often how that word is, is used in the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, don't lose sight of the Lord and the faith in the Lord's return. Instead, wake up every day thinking, maybe today will be the day that Jesus will return. Little boys and little girls, those of you trusting in Jesus, wake up every day thinking, maybe today is the day I will see my Savior. Remind your mom and dads of that because we forget a lot of times. Men, wake up every day. Lead your families into thinking, maybe today I will see Jesus. Maybe today He will come and make things right and He will rescue His own. Wives, mothers, women, the same. And encourage other women in this hope. The New Testament does it. Encourages throughout that the Lord's coming is near. And it's to be an encouragement for them. Praise Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we pray this? I don't like I should. Maybe this will help us do that. In our patient perseverance, however, we must not neglect watchfulness, not only in our own souls, but within the body as well. And James knew this. He highlights this in the next point that he makes. Second, in our patient perseverance, we must not grumble against one another, for the judge is at the door. Again, we must not grumble against one another, for the judge is at the door. Verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. An ever-present temptation is to turn against one another. That's an ever-present temptation that we have. Is anybody in here, don't raise your hands, been guilty of that? I think all of us can resonate with this. God help us. While we patiently persevere, an ever-present temptation is to turn against one another. Why would we turn against one another? I think James actually gives us some pretty good reasons why we would. If we just look at, at the epistle, could it be, as James has earlier said, because of jealousy and selfish ambition? James 3.16 Or how about because our passions are at war Within the body, or as some say, within your members, meaning within, you're applying it, the church. 
The body of Christ, James 4.1. Maybe it's because we covet what others have and we cannot get what we want, so we fight and we quarrel amongst ourselves, James 4.2. Some of this might hit pretty close. But it's helpful to look at ourselves in the light of grace, in the light of the fact that Christ has paid for these sins and saying, do I do this? Do I covet? Am I jealous? Am I selfishly ambitious? I'm out for myself. Look at the second behold. Behold number two. The judge is standing at the door. The judge is standing at the door. The very reason we persevere is the very reason we should not groan against one another. We should not grumble. The judge is at the door. He can return at any moment. So just as we should eagerly await His return for our deliverance, we should allow His any moment return to motivate us to holiness. He will return and everyone, the Bible says, must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I don't believe that the Lord will condemn us. But we will be examined. And our life will be evaluated. By God's grace, we will enter into the kingdom prepared before the foundation of the world. But the Lord's return should motivate us to say, am am I selfishly ambitious? Do I covet what others have? Do I fight and do I quarrel? How do we fight against our grumbling against one another? Well, James 4, 6-10 gives us a good start. But He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. He, or be, excuse me, wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Amen. Humility is the way out. Praise God. What's our third behold? Behold number three. Those who patiently persevere until the Lord comes are blessed. Again, those who patiently persevere until the Lord comes are blessed. Let's look at verses 10 and 11 again. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Here we have our third behold, our third illustration of patient perseverance. And we have two examples that James, in his love for his audience, gives so they can see how to patiently persevere. What's the first example? The prophets. The prophets. Surely 
The deacon Stephen did not exaggerate when he said in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. The Bible is a catalog of God's prophets who suffered and or were persecuted. What are some of them? I'm glad you asked. Abel, whom Jesus called a prophet, was murdered by his brother because his deeds were righteous and his brothers were evil. Noah, the preacher of righteousness to whom nobody listened. Moses, he chose to be mistreated and considered Christ's reproach greater than Egypt's wealth. He had Pharaoh's opposition. Israel's foremen grumbled against him. And Aaron, Israel grumbled against him many times. When Pharaoh's army approached the Red Sea, when the bitter water was made sweet, when the manna, when the water from the rock, in Israel's rebellion, when the, the spies, the ten spies gave a negative report, in Korah's rebellion, and the subsequent rebellion after Korah's rebellion, at the waters of Meribah, at the bronze serpent, as well as his own brother and his own sister grumbled against him. Samuel, Israel rejected God and asked for a king and said, we don't want your sons to rule over us. We want a king like everybody else. David, whom Peter called a prophet, Samuel, or Samuel, excuse me, Saul had a manhunt for him, for his life. And many joined in Absalom's rebellion against David. How about Elijah? Ahab and Jezebel sought to kill him. Jezebel had many of Israel's prophets murdered. Micaiah, Ahab had him in prison for prophesying negatively against him. Elisha, the Syrians attempted to take him, and the king of Israel attempted to kill him. The prophets during King Joash's reign, they testified against him and the princes of Judah, but they wouldn't listen. Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, King Joash, the supposed righteous King Joash, had him murdered for prophesying against him. Oh, there's more. A prophet during Amaziah's reign. Amaziah threatened him with death for prophesying against him. Isaiah, tradition has it, thinks that he was sawn in two. Look at Hebrews 11.37 for that. Jeremiah, King Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim burned his scroll and attempted to capture him in Baruch. He was falsely accused. He was imprisoned. He was thrown into a cistern. He was slandered and he was taken to Egypt. Ezekiel, God told him his wife would die and he could not publicly mourn for her. As a sign to Israel, or for the people. Daniel, the lion's den. Hosea was commanded by God to marry a wife of whoredom as an illustration of Israel's spiritual adultery against Yahweh. As you can see, the Bible is a catalog of prophets who have been persecuted or suffered. These prophets persevered in the midst of great suffering, trials and persecution, knowing that their reward, the Messiah and His kingdom, were coming. That's what they looked forward to. That's why they could endure. 
because they knew what was coming. Hebrews 11, the second half of verse 35 through 40. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and all these, though commanded through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And what did the Master say about His own when they were persecuted? Matthew 5, verses 11-12. through 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. You are in good company when you are persecuted for Christ. The apostles thought so. And they saw it as an occasion for rejoicing, as Acts 5.41 said, since, they, since, quote, they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Yet there's another example. The second example is Job. Job's audience, or James' audience, excuse me, had heard of Job's steadfastness. Job suffered greatly, but he never forsook God. He suffered greatly, but never forsook God. I would take that his uttering to curse God would have been a way to forsake God. But he didn't forsake Him. As a matter of fact, Job 19, 25-27 tells us that he actually looked forward to the hope and hope the day when he would see God with his own eyes. I love what pastor and professor Will Varner says about Job and perseverance. He says, and I quote him, quote, Contemporary readers of Job may be pardoned if they do not always find Job patient in his dialogues with the friends of Job 3 through 37. If a careful nuance is placed on endurance, and I'll skip the Greek word, of Job through his trials, then on his impatience, again, skipping the Greek. The problem of Job's less than stellar response at times is is better understood. Job was not always patient with his interlocutors, but he began chapters 1 and 2 and ended chapter 42 well. While struggling with the why of God's dealings with him, he never cursed God. He struggled but endured until the final outcome. End quote. This is good news for us. Our responses to suffering may not always be exemplary. They may not always be godly. And they may not always be righteous. But we can begin and we can end well. And by God's grace, we can be considered steadfast. What was the Lord's quickly? What was the Lord's goal with Job? The Lord's goal with Job was to restore and give more. To restore and to give more. Job 42, verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Job 42, 12 and 13. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. 
And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. End quote. And if you're paying attention to the beginning of the book of Job, you take all his animals, these are all double. Now this demonstrated the Lord's compassion and mercy. By the way, um, the text here saying in verse 11, it says you talk about the purpose of the Lord. The, the, the word there can mean purpose or, or goal. I, I take it as goal. The Lord's goal was to give Job back what he lost and to give him more. And this demonstrated God's compassion and mercy. And you should have a reference there to uh, Exodus 34.6 and some other texts where it talks about the Lord being compassionate and merciful. That's how He defines Himself. That's His name. He's full of compassion and mercy. And He delights to give them both. He delights to restore what His children have lost back to them. And He delights to shower them with a hundredfold more than what they had before. Brothers and sisters, Yahweh is not a sadist. He does not get pleasure from inflicting suffering on His children. He is a loving Father who in His sovereign purposes ordains trials and suffering for His children so that they are driven to take shelter under His wings to wean us off our dependence and love of the things of the world and have us drink deeply of the living water of His love to suffer the loss of all things and to count them as rubbish in order that we may gain Christ and that we might have it restored to us and be given more in the world to come. And Jesus extends this promise to His church. Again, Jesus extends this promise to His church. I'll have you turn to Matthew 19, 23-29. I want us to see this. Matthew 19 verses 23 verses 20 uh, through 29. This is a passage. This is the rich young ruler passage where the rich young ruler goes away very sad because he was had great wealth. And this is how Jesus answers, starting in verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, "Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven." Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Do you hear the desperation there? Who's going to make it? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, which by the way, that's another behold. Uh, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't scold him for focusing on rewards. Instead, look at the promise he gives him. Truly I say to you, in the new world. Now, if you have an ESV, you'll see in the footnote, Greek is in the regeneration. When the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a job promotion for Peter. <laughs> and everyone who has left houses 
Look at this. And everyone, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Take some time to look at the physical elements and promises that the Old Testament highlights in the second coming. You may be surprised to see how much the Lord focuses on physical blessings as well as spiritual. The Lord gives tangible gifts, not that we look at the gifts or the crown, but ultimately we look to Him because it points to His beauty and His generosity. So how do we live in light of this? Let's allow Hebrews 10, 34-36 to instruct us. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised." When we suffer due to our faith in Christ, let us joyfully accept it, knowing that we have a better possession and an abiding one. One where thieves cannot break in and steal. Let us not throw away our confidence in Christ, for He indeed has a great reward for us. Let us continue in His Word, in prayer, and in fellowship with one another, so that our endurance is built up, so that we will do the will of God and receive what is promised. We should not be afraid to lose it all because what Jesus will give us will exceed it a hundredfold. What did Jim Elliot say? He is a fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Don't hold on to things so tightly. Yes, be wise. Yes, use your resources well. Yes, keep what belongs to you. But if ultimately, if the persecution intensifies and we lose it for Christ, don't worry. The Lord will see to it. He'll restore what we have on the other side. What have we seen today? We've seen that we patiently persevere in the midst of suffering for the Lord's coming is imminent. We have seen in our patient perseverance we must not grumble against one another for the judge is at the door. Finally, we have seen that those who patiently persevere until the Lord comes are blessed. Young people, Satan will use whatever it takes to keep your eyes off the Lord coming back. Anything. Anything. Don't think that Christ is boring. Don't think that this life is boring. Yes, this life has many blessings and has many respites. But you, you heard what we said earlier. That it's a struggle. Young men, do you want a battle to fight? There's one right now. Young women, do you want to join a young man in battle? Do you want to battle yourself? i got good news for you. There's one right now. One where the stakes are eternal. One where we fight until He returns for us. Until our Messiah returns. 
That's a war you can join in. That's a battle you can fight in. That is a goal you can pursue. And if you're on his side, he has a goal for you too. Not because you earned it, but because he is a generous and loving and giving God will give you more than what you ever gave up. How can you lose? You only lose when you fall for the lies of the enemy. That's how you lose. Talk to us who know Christ and who have this hope in our hearts. We'll tell you it's worth it, even though we ourselves have to tell ourselves that all the time. Let us remain eager, let us regain the eager and watchful anticipation of our Lord's return that the early church had and that many of our brothers and sisters currently have. Let us daily watch for Christ's return, which will, who will come and shower His compassion and mercy on us, as well as judge those who persecute us. Let us go out to the highways and compel Christ's sheep to come in, for the time is at hand. Let us patiently persevere until Jesus comes, as James, who understood the times and knew what to do, has compelled us today. And we have to say, with the Apostle Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians, our Lord, come. Amen. Father, I would ask now that as we come to a close today, that You would encourage and stir our hearts to love Your return. That You would come quickly, Lord Jesus. Lord, we ask You to come so that we may see You and receive Your love from Your hand. Help us to patiently persevere, to bless those who persecute us, to joyfully accept the plundering of our property because Your reward is with You. And it is an enduring and abiding one. Help us not to grumble against one another. Help us to patiently persevere and establish our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen.